Hi, and thank you for listening to Sounds and Something Else. I'm your host, Lee McAdams. So I've been pretty busy recently. I, uh, I played a gig with the McAdams brothers. It's myself and my brother, Justin. It's a little acoustic duo. We had our buddy Adam Foote play percussion. And uh, we opened up for Electropolitics and The New Condition. And I got to uh, sit in with The New Condition for a bit afterwards. It was a lot of fun. And I've been gearing up for some big things with the Cosmic Factory that I'll be announcing very soon. So the other night I went out, I saw Funky Submarine at a skew in Providence, Rhode Island. It's really great Beatles, like funk, jazz tribute. And they were just killing. Just wanted to shout out Funky Submarine. Those guys were awesome. I also went out recently and saw one of my guitar heroes, Adrian Ballou, the great Jerry Harrison in their Remain in Light tour with Cool Cool Cool. It's all the old members from Turquoise. It's an amazing group of musicians. They played all my favorite Talking Heads tracks and they even went into Thela uh, and Ginji, which is a King Crimson track from the 80s. And uh, I'm a prog nut, so that really hit the spot for me. And uh, watching Adrian Ballou in person do all those crazy sounds that he's known for is just kind of, it's really mind blowing. Anyway, speaking of great guitar players, my guest today is one himself. He played with the John Schofield Band, where he recorded some of my favorite Schofield albums, including Up All Night and Uber Jam and Uber Jam 2. He played in Ola with Joe Russo, Scott Metzger, and Andy Hess, who are all world-class musicians. He played in Jim Weeder's Project Percolator. He played with Zigaboo from The Meters, Bobby McFerrin, many others. He's known for his versatility and distinctive rhythm guitar style. He's also an accomplished acoustical consultant, and he has developed apps for musicians including Time Guru and Vox Beat. But he's going to tell you more about all of that himself. Here he is, Avi Bortnik. So was there a moment in time or maybe a certain artist or album that influenced you to start playing music? Playing music? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, certainly I can think of people who I loved as a yeah. kid. Um, but I had already started playing guitar just because my parents uh, thought it'd be a good idea, I think. And I expressed some sort of interest when I was about seven. Okay. So, but it wasn't really playing the music that I liked at the time. It was playing like, you know, standard kind of folk melodies. And then that morphed into classical guitar. Okay. Right. So to me, guitar and what I liked were almost separate things. And it wasn't until after I quit taking lessons that I, I got into actually playing the music that I liked and having people influence me. So I had already kind of been playing guitar a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I loved all the 70s rock that I heard on the radio at the time. Um, artists that everyone knows, Led Zeppelin and et cetera. Uh, but, you know, there were some lesser known stuff, I guess, like maybe a little cheesy REO Speedwagon. But I also loved the Beatles a lot as yeah. a kid. Um, I liked the Monkees. <laughs> um, 
All the but classics. you know, I, I loved all that stuff that was around then. Pink Floyd, like I said, Led Zeppelin. Um, not so much Black Sabbath. I liked it, but you know, all all the rock yeah. stuff that late seventies era. Yeah. And what then, was your you know, there were also the hits like steve miller and uh, and other people and then that kind of morphed into liking um funk and soul okay yeah yeah, yeah. so um when when you started playing with bands were you kind of playing more like the classic rock stuff yeah yeah, yeah. but cool. you know we couldn't make it through a whole song so we just jam on the <laughs> riff of smoke on the water or yeah. the storm out <laughs> uh, for you know as long as we could bear it because we couldn't i think we weren't good enough to know how to like play the bridge <laughs> figure right. out those chords. we could figure out the main riff yep um but then the bridge was kind of a mystery and i don't even we didn't even get a singer till i was about in ninth grade i think so yeah um there was no one to even sing this stuff so we were just jamming out playing the riffs <laughs> which was the fun part anyway. Right. <laughs> did uh did you grow up in is it California? No, I actually grew up in St. Louis. Oh, okay. In Missouri. Um my family uh moved to California when I was already 19, so that was kind of later. Oh, all right. Yeah. So when you got out to California, you started playing um like African music and Caribbean music and stuff like that, right? Not immediately. I mean, when I got out there, uh, you know, I didn't even really think of myself as like a guitar player. I just kind of oh, really? played guitar and really liked it um, and took it seriously and took lessons here and there. Um, but when we first moved out there, I didn't make much of an attempt to play in bands or anything, but I did start studying flamenco guitar from someone I knew out there. So okay. I, I did that for about a year in that first year. And it really wasn't until basically I was finished with college that I started playing in bands out there. Oh, really? So that was, that was, you know, a good uh, five years after we moved out there that I started okay. playing that kind of music, African and Caribbean and stuff. Yeah. And was that uh Katoja? Yeah. Katoja was one of the bands. Um, there's this guy, Jeff Norell, who I played with a lot. And then there were a, a host of other um, musicians from Nigeria and also from the Caribbean that I played with. So, you know, you, you play in one and they see you play and like, oh, good, are you available for this gig? You know, whatever. And then also the Caribbean music tended to be more like the wedding and uh, restaurant party kind of circuit, whereas Katoja oh. was more like bigger shows. Okay, yeah, but you know, when, it, there's a lot of cross pollinization. You play in one band, and you get known for a certain thing, and then other people yeah. call you. Yeah, but it was a really good time in the late '80s and early '90s for music in the Bay Area. Yeah. So, was there something specific that drew you to more of like a rhythmic style of playing, or was it just sort of what the music called for? Yeah, it was more of that. Um, yeah. I mean, I liked it, but it wasn't like some it wasn't something that i really consciously worked on um it just kind of happened and for some reason could be just a random thing of physiology or something but i could do that and sound more convincing than a lot of people you know a stronger pocket or 
more consistent feel or something. So I just right. found myself being able to do that. And that was really easy. And I sounded pretty good, I guess, doing it. Yeah, definitely. People would call me because I could do that thing, you know, and could, and I also was kind of, a, I think I've always been pretty good at being a team player and, you know, trying to fit in with whatever else is going on with the band and, and not being like a rhythmic weak link in the overall ensemble. Right. Oh, I should say, I also played in um, like college big bands when I was at UC Berkeley. I oh, okay. played in the combos and the college big bands. Cool. Um, so, you know, I, I had knowledge of theory and chords and and I could read music and all that, which, you know, didn't, that was rarely needed for, or reading music is rarely needed when you play in a band, but occasionally it is, you know, someone pulls out yeah. a chart or something. Um, right. But yeah, so I was playing in college, but I really didn't start playing in other bands till after I finished. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, the rhythm thing is kind of weird. I mean, I really like that music. So I think it's partially just I could do it. And so maybe part, part of that's just physiology. But it also, I think, is related to where I went to high school in St. Louis um, or in the specific subdivision is University City. And there was a really good music program, you know, the, like the the uh, within the high school. But also, there were a lot of really good musicians, and the school was really integrated. So, a lot of really good, uh, you know, black musicians. Even though I didn't really think of it in, in that kind of black and white way, but right. still a lot of really good musicians who happen to be black and black music. Is especially at that time, you know, was was funk and rhythmic kind of music, and so there were other guitar players who could play really good rhythm guitar, and I could just look at what they were doing or hear what they're doing, and that really influences you. So I think a lot of times people talk about influences, and they always think about the big names, but a lot of times it's your friends who influence yeah. you, the people you know who you can see and watch up close. You know, especially in the times before YouTube videos. So I think if anything, like all those random unknown people are bigger influences or as big as as like people I would hear on records. Yeah. Right. So how do you find your um your playing style kind of changing or adapting depending on the group that you play with? Uh, that's a good question. Um, well, you know, sometimes well, hopefully the music just kind of suggests ideas, whether right. it's a sound from your pedals or note choices. You know, you're listening to what someone else is doing. You're trying to find a spot where you fit in or a complimentary sound or something like that. So if you keep your ears open, but it's hard, you know, I don't know if it changes in a specific way. It just depends on the setting. Um, you know, of course, there's also times where you wish you could play in a style or in a way that's more convincing, but either you're out of practice or you just don't have the skills developed. So like, I can't really play in a, in a straight ahead bebop combo and sound very good. You know, I can kind of fake it and not sound awful, but um, compared to people who can play really good straight ahead, I kind of suck. So even if, if I happen to be playing in a band where all of a sudden it, goes into that territory i wish like i you know in my head i 
like I'd like to be able to go there, but I can't. So you're always battling whatever limitations you've got. And right. that could be, you know, same with like, let's say it's a country tune or something. It's like, yeah, I can kind of emulate that, but I wouldn't move to Nashville and do that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're definitely coming from more of a funk background or were, were you listening to much jazz too? Oh, I listen to a lot of jazz. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and jazz fusion. Okay. Yeah, from, from early on. So from probably like 15 or something. Yeah. I was listening to that a lot. Um, kind of simultaneous with the funk thing, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of crossover there. Yeah. There was a lot of mixing, you know, it was just another variation of music. Um, right. yeah. I've, and I've practiced a lot more jazz than I can actually play. <laughs> convincingly and i still practice you know i'll just practice like playing over jazz blues changes yeah. or um you know rhythm changes or something like that soloing i mean just right. to I find it 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 just helps me connect with the guitar and connect with harmony and um you know and it's fun too it's, yeah. yeah absolutely yeah, I was actually kind of blown away. I was just listening to your album Clean Slate and I, I only really know you as a like a rhythm guitar player, but I was hearing like some like Larry Carlton type stuff in there. Yeah, <laughs> that was, yeah. That was really yeah. cool. Um, are you working on any more solo music at all? Uh not too much right now. I, I have a lot of music that's either not recorded or haphazardly recorded like in youtube videos or or um you know on my phone or something like that yeah. or just home demos i've got a lot of home demos um but i haven't been very motivated to put something out um partially it's just out of laziness and kind of a fatalism like oh my god there's so much music out there already what am <laughs> What, what am I really contributing to the world? <laughs> um, but also just a utilitarian thing. Like I'd either rather be just trying to write a new tune or um, since the pandemic, I've been playing a lot of classical guitar. Okay. And, and getting into that, you can probably see over there. Yeah. yeah. The, the classical guitar. So I've been playing a lot of classical guitar and I've been studying um, remotely with this really great, classical guitar player uh, Michael Kolk from Canada um so that's been challenging and kind of and pretty fun um they're fun when you get it right it's very discouraging <laughs> when you can't <laughs> right <laughs> but somehow you know it's this endless ladder that you need to climb or that I feel compelled to climb yeah but you know it sounds so good just on its own you don't have to plug in anything um literally the tone is in your hands you know people always say that it's kind of a cliche with electric guitar but even more so i think with classical because there are no effects there's no amp right the instrument and um you know the angle of your fingers and how hard you play and all that really changes things um so sometimes it's just working on getting a nice sound for whatever you're trying to play and not just play the notes but yeah, I've been getting into classical guitar, so I haven't been too motivated to put out anything. Also, I put out Clean Slate. It was it was 20 years ago. And at the time I was touring with Sco, with John Schofield. Right. And I you know, people bought CDs in those days. 
<laughs> so I, uh, it was before streaming and everything. So yeah. it felt like, yeah, I can put a little money into this and I'll make it back. And also it's kind of a business card and people pay attention, you know, if you've got a CD and right. uh, yeah, and maybe just a little more motivated to do something, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so sense. now it's, it's really, it's not a lack of tunes and it's not a lack of potential to make something. It's really laziness or lack of motivation. Right. Yeah. I keep um, thinking who... I'll do something, but. <laughs> so you, you recorded that, that was 2003. Um, yeah. What, when did you get hooked up with Schofield? Was that around like 2000 or so? Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Technically, I guess the very end of 1999, um, and then I auditioned right at the beginning. I think it was January of 2000. Okay, he had sent me um, the mixes for this record bump that was about to come out. Oh, great album! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how that whole thing started. He wanted a, a guitar player to play the parts that he had overdubbed on bump. So there's no real keyboards on bump i mean there's samples from a keyboard player but there's no like oregon sounds or roads or anything like that yeah. so it's all um drums bass and sco playing guitar and then he overdubbed guitar so he needed someone to be able to replicate that live that was the impetus cool i imagine you were already a fan when you got oh, that yeah. call yeah oh yeah i mean <laughs> you know uh he it sounds kind of a little weird to say but he w was an influence just like he is to so many guitar players oh, know, yeah. it's almost like beyond influence like you know you hear him and you're kind of influenced by him but yeah. i i specifically um transcribe solos or bits of solos of his and like a fusion band i had in high school did a tune or two from the cobham duke band that sco was part of oh yeah so i had known about him from like a very young age from from you know from things he was doing in the 70s yeah so yeah and you know and then i followed him he joined when he joined miles and then his solo stuff later um blue matter and all that right yeah you know i'd buy his records so yeah huge fan yeah that's awesome and uh, it seems like your role in his band sort of grew and evolved over your time with him, too. From That's exactly right. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Um, because that it was originally supposed to be like a five month period of touring. Um, but then it just kept going. And then after the we played all the bump stuff, he started to write new music and then... Um, you know, brought it in the band. And also um, Adam Deitch started playing drums at the end of, or beginning of 2001, I think it was. And Ben Porowski, the previous drummer, had been doing some of the sample stuff. But then I started doing it. Well, actually, Ben couldn't make some gigs. And so I took over some of the sampling stuff. Then he came back and I kept doing sampling stuff and kind of got more into it. And then when Adam joined um i took over all the sampling duties i guess okay. and started getting into it more and then yeah it just kind of grew organically both from touring and sco was really liking the band and having fun with it and everything 
and we were we were all having a good time yeah and i also i was getting i didn't consider myself any sort of like techno whiz or anything i had never really dealt with samples or loops or anything like that but um yeah i was curious about that was that something that that schofield wanted like specifically for that group or was that just a little bit yeah because on bump there's um some sounds um the keyboard player from soul coughing did that um mark digley anthony i think is his name okay in a while um so he was doing that but that was more like textural sounds and sco really liked that like whooshy sounds and weird noises and all that but then um i also bought this sampling drum machine and so we started working that in where we'd had, you know, augmenting the drummer beats or switching back and forth between drum machine and drums. Um, so we, I started doing that and he was, Sko's real into it. I mean, he's super open. And I think Sko also likes to hear what people bring to the situation. Yeah. You know, rather than micromanage and dictate everything and you do this and you do that or uh, you know, use this kind of sample here. I mean, sometimes he'll have suggestions or ideas, of course, but I think he he likes seeing what other people do, you know, or hearing what other people do and th- that newness yeah. and that surprise kind of fires him up. So in that case, I think some of the sample and beat stuff appealed to him. Maybe he didn't plan it out in advance, but it's like, oh, this is cool. And let's see where this goes with this new element yeah cool so i also was curious um andy has played with with sco yeah. schofield right yeah. did um it's only like sort of a footnote in your career really i feel like at this point but um did he sort of get you involved with the group ola joe russo and scott metzger oh well let me think about that no it wasn't through andy um i forget how we did our first gig but a lot of the music we were doing was stuff i had already been playing it was i think mostly my stuff a bit of joe's and like one or two of scott's tunes um and then a couple of covers but i think most of it was my stuff so but i can't remember if i originally called joe or or ask joe or if i ask scott or and i i can't remember how that first thing happened yeah um yeah i can't remember <laughs> but then you know we did a bunch of gigs or a few gigs not not that often it was yeah only once in a while actually joe just contacted me about a week ago about doing something else in june but i think that ended up not materializing but yeah. it's still theoretically alive nice it's <laughs> so great we group. don't play that often yeah, yeah. But I love those guys. They're all fantastic and super fun to play with. Yeah. Killer musicians, all of you. Yeah. Yeah. But no, Andy, um, you know, Andy's done a lot of stuff and we're good friends, but I don't think he put that together, but I I might be wrong about that. (laughs) Have to ask him. Yeah. So uh, are you still with Ghost Train Orchestra? That hasn't, nothing is, ha- you know, the pandemic threw a lot of stuff off. Yeah, so. right. And that's that's a, a kind of a difficult band to make work because <laughs> it's really big. So coordinating everyone's schedules and um, the economics of it. Uh, but 
Well, let's put it this way. It's not over, but I don't right. know what um, Brian, the leader, is. He lives in Boston. I'm not sure what he is doing right now. He also kind of had two permutations of that band. One, oh. the music of this guy, Moondog, and then the other that I was in um, did like music from the 30s and 40s. Okay. Yeah. Like big band stuff. Yeah, kind of big band, very adventurous. Some of it is a little bit like uh, kind of zany cartoon music. Nice. Um, yeah, really fun band. Cool. And it seems like you have a lot going on outside of um, performing music, too. Is, uh, yeah, I don't know well, if you want to talk a... about like the app programming stuff you're doing oh, yeah. or anything like that. Yeah, so I've got my three apps, um, the main one being Time Guru. As a matter of fact, I've just been dealing with trying to comply with some weird Google regulations about their family policy and finally figured that out. Um, mm -hmm. But so, yeah, I still deal with Time Guru. There's a few up improvements that I want to do when I have the time. Um, and then I've got two other apps out. One is called Echo Pitch and the other is called Voxbeat. And those are like barely sell anything. Yeah. So Time Guru is the main one. So I've got that. I'm also an acoustical consultant. So okay. I work, that's kind of my hashtag day job. Yeah. And I've been doing that for 20 years on and off. Basically. What does that entail? So that's um, working with architects and engineers where sound is an important consideration in the design of buildings. That's kind of the, the easiest way to state it. But yeah. so mostly I work on everything from recording studios and theaters and things that you think of when you think about acoustics to data centers and hotels um, and apartment buildings, which people often don't think of when they think of acoustics. But some of it is noise control. So it basically boils down to sound in the built environment, whether it's indoors or outdoors. And it can range from trying to make rooms sound good for whatever their intended purpose is, whether it's recording or a podcast studio or um, a theater or a space for classical music or a rehearsal room or whatever it might be, or a conference room or a nightclub to keeping the sound from one room from going to the next room or keeping the sound in that room from going to the outdoors. Um, it also has to do with noise control of um, ventilation equipment because most buildings need to be ventilated right. and fans do the ventilating and then fans make noise. So, yeah. So on the day-to-day, -day, I'm looking at architectural drawings and engineering documents um, and making recommendations on things that I think they should change to get a good outcome. Was uh, that sort of like, was that like a personal interest of yours or how, how did you get involved with that? Yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, it, it is an outgrowth of interest in music and sound in general. And also most of my acoustical colleagues are also musicians somehow. And I, I think mm -hmm. there's a common thing where, you know, you're interested in music and interested in sound in general. And then that could morph into like audio engineering or um, 
but in some cases it goes this route of acoustical consulting. But it was also just a simple practical thing where I had been playing music only for, for a number of years. Um, and then in my late 20s, that started to feel a little repetitive and just like, where is this going? You know, is am I, is, is it just going to be like playing weddings and restaurants for the rest of my life or are there other things to do? And so my dad who was an architect suggested this and then it seemed like a reasonable oh. idea so i ended up studying it at the university of florida cool. so i studied i actually studied architectural acoustics but then i've always played music and so i've taken detours to tour or um just limit how much i work in acoustics so right now i work what is kind of the most number of hours I've ever worked in acoustics and that's 30 hours a week that I do. Oh, so it's kind of like a full-time job, but yeah. not quite. And so it still gives me time to practice and play gigs and stuff. Yeah. Nice. Um, are you gigging around uh, New York these days? A little bit. Yeah. yeah. Occasionally. Um, my next gigs are actually in Florida. Um, oh, okay in may with my band doing a lot of music from clean slate awesome because there's a radio station down there that actually plays that record this is in gainesville florida but also i'm playing with my old band what it is it's a kind of a reunion gig we haven't played together in about 28 years oh wow so um it's gonna be pretty interesting so yeah. I, the first night of this um celebration for this radio station is my band and the next night it's what it is along with some other bands too but right. so those are my next upcoming gigs that i need to prep for and go over music and in my <laughs> band it's um andy hess that you mentioned he's oh, playing right. and then this drummer tony mason who also played with sco for a bit okay and this really great keyboard player from new york daniel Manceris. cool and then what it is was a band that i had in the 90s um or that i was in um or co-led with my friend jerry and uh, that started in like 1994 we became really popular in the southeast and used to tour around there so um yeah, so like cool. a like funk band yeah funk soul cool yeah. awesome yeah well i'm i think we're uh just about running out of time here okay cool well tell me about you and your podcast i'm curious yeah so um it's basically just an audio podcast it goes out on spotify and apple podcasts and everywhere it's pretty new right now but um i'm just talking to all the musicians that i listen to and respect and admire like yourself and um yeah i'm just seeing where it goes yeah. are you a guitar player <laughs> yeah yeah cool and where do you live I'm in Providence, Rhode Island. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah not too far Providence from New York. Is, yeah, Providence is great. Yeah. I was there about a year and a half ago, took the Amtrak up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like really liked it there. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice city. It's small. Yeah. It still <laughs> feels like a city. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cool. And do you play in bands or? Um... Yeah, I play in sort of like a psychedelic rock band uh play nice. guitar and yeah some keyboard cool. yeah i'm uh i'm not as uh as trained as i i would like i i went to school for a little while studying jazz i ended up dropping out myself but um 
Mm-hmm. You yeah, feel like but, you got a foundation or um yeah, but yeah. Yeah. I, I'd love I'd really love to get back in the lessons, but um yeah, I've been playing for a while now. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I mean yeah. that's a beautiful thing about music. You just keep learning. Right. Um, you never really arrive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh always growing. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for asking me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, absolutely. I really appreciate you doing it. Thanks. I Sounds appreciate good, it. Man. Yeah. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. That was Avi Bortnik. Thank you, Avi. I've been listening to Avi play with Schofield for so many years now. It was so great for me to get to talk to him for the first time. I hope you all enjoyed the chat. So you can catch Avi live in Gainesville, Florida, May 12th and 13th at Wombash 23. On the 12th, he'll be there with the Afro country band Corn Pone, featuring Andy Hess on bass. And then the 13th, he's reuniting with his old band, What It Is. In the meantime, go listen to Avi's album, Clean Slate. Listen to all his work with Schofield. It's, uh, and check out Ola on YouTube. There's a lot of great stuff, and it's all really inspiring to me. So I've been working on the new Cosmic Factory album. We're uh, tracking vocals and percussion now. And uh, we're working on the McAdams Brothers album and the Melancholy album. There's a lot of music coming out of Squatch Sounds very soon. So be on the lookout for all of that. And uh, I'll be playing April 21st with Sergeant Baker and the Clones at the Parlor in Providence, Rhode Island. And we'll be there with the Rupert Selection, the Devil's Twins, and Volcano Kings. They're all great bands. And then uh, Cinco de Mayo... Melancholy is planning a a show at the Warren House of Pizza in Warren, Rhode Island. Come on out to that. Got a nice long set for you with some surprises. And that's all until next time. Thanks for listening to Sounds and Something Else. Sounds and Something Else is a Squatch Sounds podcast.